This is a show for missionary disciples who worship Christ in the Eucharist and serve him and their neighbor, for whom the words of the creed reverberate through their daily activity. This is a show for those like you and me who make a conscious choice to follow Christ outside the walls. We're here in the season of Lent as we are exercising these three pillars of Lent, of prayer, fasting, and almsgiving, uh, to help us restore our relationship with God, with ourself, having a, a proper balance of our own appetites, and then also with society, with those that are around us. Uh, last several years, I've had this kind of construction regarding Lent and, and Advent. Advent is a time where we focus on looking around the world and saying, hey, all is not right with the world. There's the eschaton here. Uh, and and so we focus on that and we meditate on that. And then Christmas comes with the answer to that, with uh, the redemption of the cosmos through the incarnation of Jesus Christ. All is not right with the world, but Christ comes in the flesh to put what is wrong back right again. And then Lent we come and we have that same kind of picture. We say, all is not right with me. And it's pretty obvious just by looking inwardly with the, with the slightest little bit of attention that I am not where I'm supposed to be. With, with Paul in the book of Romans, I can say, uh, the things that I don't want to do, those are the things I end up doing. And the things I want to do, those things I don't do. Who can save me from this body of death, right? And the answer as it was for Paul, is for us as well. The, the Praise be to our Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one who comes and sets us free. So all is not right with me is kind of the picture that we look at during the season of Lent, and we end up with the answer to that in a very personal way, as opposed to the cosmological way we see and, and, and meditate on an Advent. In this very personal way, we say, oh, here in the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, this Paschal mystery, I find the answer to what is wrong with me. And, and I can, through these practices, maybe pursue setting that right and, and allowing Christ to work in me to bring those things to fruition. So as we're looking at prayer and fasting and almsgiving, it's really easy to get the actions right, but the intentions, maybe not 100%. And uh of course, God works with what he has, but let's do the best that we can to, to set our intentions in the right place. So to help us talk through that today, we have again on the show, Bo Bonner, who is the, the director for the Center for Human Flourishing. You can find out more about them over at mchs.edu slash flourish. Bo, thanks for joining us again. Absolutely. Thank you for having me back on the show. It's always uh, wonderful to get to talk to you. So let's talk about this, um, having the right intention, because so often when we think about Lent, we think about the practice, right? What are you going to give up for Lent? What are you going to pick up for Lent? What are the extra things I'm going to do? What are the things I'm getting rid of? And it all becomes very action-oriented. Uh, and and the actions are there for a reason, but they're meant to be there in support of the interior life, and sometimes we miss that in, in the fray. With all of the things we do with Lent, but to use maybe um, fasting as a, a sort of a prime example, um, it's easy to think what we're up to is something like uh, the Catholic version of dealing with scarce resources. And in many ways, uh, that's what the sort of 
other intended practices people are doing is in some ways dealing with scarce resource and trying to figure out the best way to allot those resources, whether that's caloric intake or, uh, you know, for my own health or like, do I need to ration what I eat? But even something like philanthropy or even meditation, right, starts to be ideas about um, dealing with a scarce resource and doing right by it. Oh, I only have so much thoughts or mental power. So maybe I meditate and take that break so that my brain can be recharged and I can go back at it. Um, there's only so many resources out there in the world. So I'm going to use my uh, resources I have and distribute them. The problem with that, it sort of misses what we're after when we say that these practices are worthwhile in the season of Lent, because the focus is actually not on the passing things of the world. Indeed, the intent is for a while for us to actually pay less attention to the things of the world, which as you sort of hinted at, part of the problem can be in Lent that we get really wrapped up with. What am I giving up, right? Mm -hmm. What alms am I going to give? What food am I not going to eat? What um, prayers extra I'm going to do? And we can, like I say, kind of get uh, so worried about the specifics that we actually pull off the opposite of what's being asked, which is that these passing things of the world, that we turn our attention from them and instead focus on the spiritual, which of course is the opposite of a scarce resource. The spiritual world is inexhaustible. And the things of the spirit, of course, are not diminished by being shared or replicated. So you think, of course, that mercy, right? Mercy is not a scarce resource. We only have like, you know, 50 gallons of mercy. And so if you use a gallon, you now have 49. No, in fact, mercy spreads by being shared. And if those who are merciful, more mercy abounds. And then finally, of course, love itself, which is both, of course, who God is, but is the most inexhaustible of resources, right? Love does not diminish when you love others. Indeed, it usually redoubles back to you. So the spiritual realities are the exact opposite of a scarce resource. And Lent is asking us to take time to unfocus on the passing things of this world, pay less attention to them so that we can focus and pay attention to the spiritual world that is inexhaustible and is only waiting for us to tap into so that it can replicate and refulgently overspill its boundaries. Because the whole point is to not be obsessed with the details of things that can be quenched and used up and instead take that focus, take that attention and look inward to see the infinite wells of spiritual realities. I had a conversation this last week with one of my, my middle school children this child was receiving the things that they had been hoping for and came to realize that they still had a, a desire for more. Like everything that they had, had hoped for. And then like, I want to be grateful. I don't want to be ungrateful, but I still feel this, this emptiness. And so we pointed that to this conversation. And I think that this is one of the reasons that we fast is in that hunger to recognize that the things that we typically hunger for here on earth, do not satisfy the infinite hunger that we have. We have the capacity for the infinite and we try to fill it with food or wealth or, or a relationship. Um, and 
in doing so, in trying to fill it, it's this constant exercise. I've got to, I'm going to feed myself, and then later today I'm going to feed myself again, and then later today I'm going to feed myself again. And it kind of takes us back to that that story of Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well saying, uh, if you knew who it was that was asking you, you would be asking me for living water, uh, and all who drink it never thirst again. And kind of reframing for ourselves this picture of, oh, that really is, I have this infinite appetite, and that really is what I'm longing for is something other than the ways that I typically try to fill those hungers. Absolutely. And, you know, I one of these ways that I think about this is, so just starting with prayer, but expanding out here in a second. So St. Augustine has his famous adage mm-hmm. that, um, God is more interior to us than we are to ourselves. And he's saying this in terms of prayer, because what it sure seems like you do when you pray is uh, making sure God, uh, you know, like some old forgetful man, is reminded of stuff you need, you know, like the grocery list of, of your life. Right. And you just periodically tell God about it. But Augustine points out, of course, God is more interior to you and already knows what you need. No, prayer is not about a sort of like shoddy information system with the divine. Instead, this God who already knows what you need knows that in order to receive what you actually need, you need your heart enlarged to receive these immense gifts that are much larger than the grocery store list things of things you do, things you think you need. That's a reading we have uh, in the breviary early in Lent is this conversation that Augustine is having about the gifts that God wants to give us are bigger than what we can manage right now. And so we have to take this time of Lent to expand the borders of our hearts so that we can, we can fit in to our, our holding bag, as it were, our spirits, as he puts it, um, to, to hold all the gifts that he wants to give to us. Because right now we don't have the capacity for the infinite that, that, we, we've kind of cluttered it up with all these other things, and he wants us to clear it out and make space for the gifts that God has to give. Absolutely. And, and to me, there's a corollary to this. So just as God is more interior to you than you are to yourself, eternity is more interior to time than time is to itself. Because remember, eternity is not infinity or an infinity of time, right? Mm-hmm. Eternity is timelessness. Because eternity is timeless, it actually already has the past, the present, and the future present to it and sort of uh, eternity in, envelops and holds all of those things. And so Lent is another uh, aspect where by learning to not focus on the things that ga- give us anxiety in time, as you pointed out, right, any of those sort of things, the, the, the time-bound material things, um, we will... We will eat them. We will feel quenched maybe for a bit, but there's always that future anxiety, right? That I will hunger again. I will thirst again. I want more. Um, and even, even if I'm like in a, in a giving mood, um, the things that I give to others will eventually fade out and, and will need attendance to once more. And so we have a lot of anxiety in the world about the future when we sort of um, get ourselves waist deep in the things of the material world. But what's interesting about eternity is since it's present at any every moment, you know, we worry about the future, but if we attended to the now, 
we would actually attend to eternity mm-hmm. in the moment. And actually, you know, eternity has the future already wrapped up in it. So we creatures who are so worried about the future and our future wants, and, and how are we going to quench those future wants? If we would pay attention to the now that is occurring, we would actually focus and pay attention to eternity. And eternity will take care of the future in a way that we can't. And Lent is about that too. It is about focusing on the now and not being anxious of the things of the world that pass away. I'm not going to be anxious about food. I'm not going to be anxious about my wants. I'm not going to be anxious about the scarce resource of money. Instead, I'm going to put those things to the side, not because they're evil or bad, but because I want to focus on the spiritual, the inexhaustible, and the inexhaustible moment that is enshrouded in eternity. And if I pay attention to eternity, eternity has the future already cradled in its arm in a way that I could never attend the future, even if I wanted to. I heard it put once this way, that the present moment, the present is where time intersects with eternity. And and that, you know, yesterday's past, I can't interact with it. It's, it's gone and I can maybe uh, feel contrition over it, but I can't change anything in it. And the future is something that I can't really affect at all, except by moving in this present moment, that the present is where time intersects with eternity. You brought up something else, Bo, um, in talking about this question of, of fasting, about giving up the good for the sake of something better or something to that, that line. I've heard a lot of people talk about, uh, Lent as if you could fast from things like gossip or fast from things like um, selfishness and, and anger and holding grudges. And I've even, uh, I've seen this attributed to a number of different people. Uh, but one of the, part of Lenten practice is certainly to avoid those things that are sin and that lead us to sin. But the, the idea of a fast is generally to control our appetites for things that may even be positive and be good for the sake, again, of embracing the infinite appetite, uh, the appetite for those, tra- those things that transcend uh, our human experience. Absolutely. And I think this goes back to why, for especially in our age, where everything can be so noisy. Um, and, uh, you know, just to point out that it's easy for us to sound like we're being Luddite or maybe um, Amish, and I'm not being derogatory here, but like th- there's this idea like, oh, well, you know, Lent's a good time to say this much technology and no more. But of course, speaking is a, a, is a medium and a technology, right? Like, there's like why humans are uh, above other animals is because we have this medium called speaking, and it is a technique, it's a technology. It allows us to do things and manipulate and, and live in the world in a way that other creatures that don't have it can't. And so that's why silence is so important during Lent is because not that speaking is itself evil. It says, you know, St. James points out the tongue is the muscle that can get you in the most trouble. (laughs) But um, it's still the case that, of course, the tongue also praises God and uh, confesses the name of Jesus. Right. So no one is saying something silly like to give up talking you know, for just even a momentary amount of time, five minutes, 15, 
no one's acting like that means you're declaring speech as wicked. It's, you know, we, we worship the word made flesh. We, we're, we're a wordy people. We love words, we love scripture. But to give up that good thing, that medium of speech for five minutes, for 15 minutes, uh, your Cistercian uh, for a few weeks or whatever, <laughs> uh, to do that is, again, once more, to not say that like what you're what you're after with Lent is like, oh, well, you have some bad habits. And so stop smoking for Lent. No, no, no. Uh, you should just stop smoking to stop smoking. In Lent, it's actually good to give up what's good so that, again, the focus on the even deeper uh, goods of the spiritual world uh, that we're not going to be fit for and ready to really receive if our dis- our focus and attention is distracted by the good but passing things of this world. One of the dangers, I think, of saying, oh, I'm going to give up this bad thing for Lent is that when Lent is over, you're like, all right, well, I guess I can pick that back up again. Right. It's like, well, yeah. you know, that's not really the point here. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, that's it's always, um, you know, <laughs> when, when it's like, ah, Lent's over on Easter, time to time to go buy the crank. You're like, that seems uh, wrongheaded. <laughs> I, I would think, no, I don't think you should commit crimes uh, on I'm, Easter Sunday. I'm not sure that's the way to celebrate the Paschal Mystery. <laughs> that's right. Like, it was a little off. <laughs> <laughs> so we have this, this um, looking at those things in our life that stand between us and infinite satisfaction. And a lot of times, those things that stand between us and infinite satisfaction are things that provide momentary satisfaction. So acknowledging that, recognizing that, and saying, I'm going to lessen my dependence on these good things so I can get that which is infinitely good. Uh, You mentioned something that I haven't really heard brought up before, and I want you to maybe talk about that a little bit more and, and maybe share your own experience with this specific practice of fasting from noise. I've heard about fasting from noise and maybe in terms of I'm not going to listen to the radio as much or I'm going to maybe I've, everyone's seen that I'm going to give up social media for Lent. Um, lots of different ways to do that. But you brought up even more so the practice of engaging in silence. And I use that term specifically uh, because oftentimes we think of silence as the absence of action or the absence of speech or making noise. But I think that it specifically when you're saying I'm going to intentionally enter into silence, it is something that engages the whole body. It is not a passive activity to engage in silence. So you have, um, you are a, an oblate of a Benedictine community. And so I'm, I'm certain that you experience those times of silence when you're there at the monastery uh, as a part of the community with your other oblates. But it sounds to me from what you're saying here that you might also enter into certain periods of silence during Lent. And so I'm curious how that works out for you, what that looks like being a, a person with a wife and children and how that plays out for you to experience that Lenten practice and what benefit you see from it, not just for yourself, but for your whole family. Absolutely. And, you know, my poor kids, uh, you know, I'm just trying to do dad stuff and be like, oh, what's a good way to do Lenten practice? But then I'm also dorky philosopher dad getting into stuff. 
And so, like, they always have to be subjected to my new ideas that are, you know, philosophy, brain poison pilled. Thanks. And so, you know, you know, God bless them that they have to deal with this. But, you know, so there's very practical thing. And so kids are like, oh, well, you know, let's give up sweets. Like, good. Sure. Let's give up sweets. And they all love sweets. And then so I'm like, okay, well, what's other things again trying to get into this? What what, what do we give up? Um, You know, maybe not going into like the whole spiel, but, you know, things that we give up that we like doing so we can make more time to try to be prayerful. And so they started getting into whole technology stuff. And, you know, we don't let them have like absolute, complete access to like technology all the time. Because again, our point is that we don't think any one medium is necessarily worse than the other, but it's the the newer mediums are more immersive, right? They, they, they have the the capacity to really draw you in. So it's important Mm -hmm. to get in the habits of using them instead of letting them use you. You That's kind of what we say. But the problem with that, right, when you're a kid is they're always like, well, we can do 30 minutes, but on the weekend we can do an hour. And then so like they started getting all sounding like, you know, TV programmers trying to figure out how long to show each Olympic event. Well, on Wednesday, maybe 10 minutes. And we're like, like, okay, listen, listen, listen. Instead of trying to figure out some sort of big old map about when you can use what piece of technology, how about every day we just do 15 minutes of silence as a family? And then they're like, what do we do when we do that? Do we need to think? Do we need to do it? And I'm like, no, no, no. First step is just 15 minutes not doing other mediums, including speech. Well, can I think in my head? Whatever. I'm like, you know what? I don't want you to spend 15 minutes trying to make your head not think. Right. What I want you to try to do is if thoughts come in, you just kind of let them go in one ear and out the other because silence itself is a medium. Mm. I love how you put that, that silence is usually seen as the absence of talking, like that silence is like darkness to light. But it's actually the case, at least in the Christian conception, that silence itself is a medium. I mean, the, the medium of God's creation, right, is ex nihilo, right? And there, and God speaks in silences. And, you know, here I'm, I'm, I'm obviously showing that uh, I've read a lot of Marshall McLuhan lately, <laughs> but that's, it, it's important to point this out, right? That the digital world is a medium, uh, the electric world, so TV and radio is a medium, print and, and, and word, the written word is a medium, speech is a medium, but silence is a medium. And in some ways, when we talk about media and medium, we kind of automatically think of it as a technology, but there's two senses in which to think of it that are very important that also then get into what we're talking about when we say something like silence. So on one hand, media means something that mediates. Hmm. And so humans have to have things mediated all the way down. We mediate to each other. We have reality mediated through our senses. And of course, in the spiritual world, graces are mediated to us uh, primarily, of course, through Jesus Christ. But there's also the sense in sort of like the scientific, you know, like electricity, you know, that things are like a, a medium through which, uh, you know, electricity would go through. And you can talk about conductors and things like this. Well, you know, all of these things are medium of communication. They're the sort of occasion in which communication can go back and forth. So we have the digital world, of course, which is what prompts a lot of people nascently to go, maybe I should give up social media for Lent. Right. Um, the same thing with TV and radio, right? I'm not going to watch TV. I'm not going to listen to the radio. But then this goes back to text, which 
I love books. I don't want this to be the, the day that people act like Bo doesn't love books. I teach great books <laughs> programs. But there's a way in even which like text, when we go, well, I'm going to try to do spiritual reading instead of the way I usually use text, right? Which is like a manual or to array things uh, sort of in, in a technological way. Um, but even then, you know, it's important to not just uh, take it lighter on those other mediums. Maybe you make sure to take time where you, you're, you're, you're doing, you're being disengaged without doing text, or maybe you're very attentive to the sort of speech you do. And this gets down to maybe the medium that you take time this Lent to interact with is silence. And of course the monasteries think that silence is a pregnant medium uh, St. Benedict and his rule has an entire chapter on the importance of silence, but that's something that we can even begin to do on our homes, even if we're not going to have like grand monastic silence like they do, where basically from like 8, a, 8 p.m. to 8 a.m. no one talks, even just five minutes at a time is important. But remember, this goes back to what we talked about in the beginning of the episode. It's not like Christian meditation where we're like, oh, well, I'm going to like take five minutes to renew and use mindfulness to be, you know, a better worker be afterwards. No, there's this real way to say mediums are all good. Speech is good. Text is good. Television can be good. Even the digital world that we all trash so much. Uh, I mean, you and I don't talk very, unless we have, uh, you know, the digital medium. Yeah. But all good things, right, can be too immersive, right? We get distracted. We get, um, you know, uh, drawn away. We sort of, uh, we don't collect ourselves because of these medias. They're all extensions of ourselves. So we kind of become overextended. So Lent asks us to say, how do we come back to ourselves? How do we recollect, right? You know, recollection means to recollect. How do we recollect our focus and our attention back on the fact that God is more interior to us than we are to ourselves? And the medium of silence is in many ways the best way to communicate that recollection. And if that feels like a, a difficult way to conceive of communication, I just want to point out a couple of instances where we often use silence to communicate. Uh, sometimes we use silence to communicate displeasure or anger with someone. And I'm not saying this is a healthy way to do it, but sometimes we use that silence as the means of communication. Another time that we use silence to communicate is in the midst of uh, consoling someone in their grief, whether that be someone who has had a deep loss and they just need someone to be with them and to sit with them in silence. Sometimes it's with our children. But silence, I love this, this idea of silence as communication specifically with God. We're going to continue this kind of direction, looking at silence in Lent when we come back. We're having a conversation today with Bo Bonner, who's the director of the Center for Human Flourishing at Mercy College uh, of Health Sciences. Learn more at mchs.edu slash flourish. Come over to social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle's at outside the walls. Tell me about your Lenten practice and don't go anywhere. There's much more to come right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, T.L. Putnam, and today we're talking with Bo Bonner, who's the director of the Center for Human Flourishing at Mercy College of Health Sciences. You can find out more information about the work they do at mchs.edu slash flourish. Bo, thanks again for taking the time to be with us today. Oh, of course. It's always wonderful to get to... uh to get to air out uh, some of the stuff, uh, thinking about especially uh, love how you make sure to do so um, along with the liturgical year. Mm -hmm. So we're talking about Lent and about this practice of of being intentional with the things that we give up, with the things that we pick up. Uh, we give up something in our, in our penance and our fasting. We pick up something in our practice. We engage in almsgiving and prayer and fasting. We engage you talked about engaging in silence and specifically in active silence. Uh, I wanted to bring that back around and, and continue this line of thinking because I particularly, and the way that I interact with the world, it's different than my, than my wife does. I have an interior monologue. I hear and it like my, I hear my thoughts. They are, spoken word, just spoken interiorly. Whereas my wife, she has flashes of images that then she has to sit down and process through and eventually put words to. And how this plays out for me when I go to a monastery, do a silent retreat or something like that, or sit down and say, I'm going to spend time in meditative silent prayer is that, as you mentioned earlier, I just have this interior monologue that I have to actively work at letting come in one air and out the other or actively direct towards uh, the contemplation of Christ, whether that be in a, in a period of Eucharistic adoration or something else. Uh, the question number one, as you're engaging in silence, is are you also that kind of verbal thinker or do you have it easy? And if you, if you don't have it easy, what are some strategies that you use to, uh, to focus? I'm not even going to say to quiet because I, I think that there's more than that. To focus that monologue towards silence. You know, it starts to be interesting when you get to teach and then bring up the sort of questions you're bringing up. Um, because, of course, so many people, I mean, even in the exterior life, there's so many things people do that they eventually find out like, oh, you do that? I thought I was the only freak that did that. Hardy, har, har, <laughs> I guess we all have to. So when you start to ask students to go, hey, when you think, so like precisely that question, do you think in words? Do you hear yourself? And, you know, it's one of those deals where they bring this start, sort of stuff up and like the people who are on different sides go, oh my goodness, you're, you're kidding. Other people, you know, they either go like, other people do it any other way or they're like, right. I thought I was the only one. And I have a hard time, like, sort of uh, telling people what it's like going on in my head. I certainly can have an interior dialogue, but, like, I don't hear myself talking, and I don't know how to explain it. And also, some of the, like, when I get ideas, they, uh, it's almost like, I don't want to say epiphanies because that makes me sound much more profound than they are, but it's like something whole and entire sort of, it's like, there it is. Like, I, I know it now, and now I can talk about it. And it takes right. me time to sort of, like, unpack those sort of things. Um, but I certainly can also, you know, I, I, I find myself, you know, thinking to myself and talking to myself or hearing other voices. Um, the confusion in which I'm answering this 
uh, probably shows you that, no, I'm not, I do not have it easy when I sit down to do mental prayer and go, nothing's happening, right? Like it, you're right as an active sort of um, attempt to, 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 to really live in silence. And one of the things that's difficult, right? And this is where I'm hopefully can maybe give some practical advice is it can all make it, you sound very crazy because you're like, well, what, how do I make myself do blank? And then you go, how do I make myself do blank? What, there's multiple parts of me? Like there's like, you know, it's like it's Freud, right? Right. The ego talks to the superego and tells the it to meow, 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 meow. What I actually think it's much more like is on a camera, you know, there's an aperture. Mm -hmm. And I know to get like, I'm going to get dorky science for a bit. Come on, bring it. And of course, the way that, you actually either get like a picture, right? Is to expose film to light. Um, the digital cameras, you know, they, they do this in their own way, but the aperture, right? The opening closing, uh, the thing that brings things into focus or not. Um, I often think when we're sort of in our own heads and really having that interior monologue, it's like we have the aperture closed tight and we're in the, like we're, we're focused on something enough that that, that dialogue keeps coming up or it can be the opposite way for some people. They feel like when they relax, you know, the, the dialogue starts going and going and going. The weird thing about mental prayer is we have to take the risk to actually open the aperture as wide as possible and it's funny because I think it, it, that to me is the sort of counterintuitive move I had to realize because what I thought was what I need to do is really control my thoughts. I need to tell it to stop. I need to stop like listening to myself. But I realized that what that was doing is I was tightening the aperture. And in many ways, it was like I was activating muscles in my soul. And that like actually made me bear down on things and it made me think more. And so if the idea, right, is of course silence is a medium through which God can speak. If you are policing the medium, you're figuring out unconsciously one more way to make it a lot about you. Hmm. And so what you have to do is be willing to widen that aperture, which is strange because that means you have to let that running monologue in your head go. And so it's counterintuitive, right? The more we strain to stop ourselves from having an interior monologue, thinking about the grocery list, whatever it might be, the more we are still in our own heads. And it's really us, right? Because I'm like, I want to try to stop it. or I'm going to try to do this. I'm going to try to redirect it. And for me, it may, and like I want to very much throw out there, this might not be for everyone, but the same for me. It's really important to sort of open the aperture wide and not bear down, you know, like to not bear down, to yeah. not flex the muscles. And if that means like you have the talky part of your brain jabbering on, you got to let, you got to be okay with it. You got to go fine, right? Like that, that's obviously something that I have to in my interior life, get off my chest as it were, mm -hmm. before I can get to the medium of silence. And so if you want to do anything, it's about, offering that to God, God, there must be some reason that I keep thinking of the grocery list or, you know, uh, cumulonimbus clouds or whatever it is, for whatever reason, God, <laughs> I offer those things to you yeah. for the sake of like listening through the medium of silence. Here's a, here's a, a crude picture. Um, 
you see a parent over in mass and their kids are just kind of a little bit wild that day. Mm-hmm. And you kind of catch their eyes and give them that, that knowing nod of solidarity, like I'm here with you. And they give you, the right, look right, like, right. they give you the look like you see this, right? <laughs> you see what's going yes. on. You're like, yeah, I got you. You know, you give that kind of hunger Games solidarity sign. Um, <laughs> and, and in a, in a sense, when you have that running monologue and I've found this to be really true in times of, of adoration where I'm, we do a holy hour and we're maybe we finished up Vespers. We're sitting in the presence of the Eucharist and those thoughts are just kind of going everywhere. And you, I like that picture of the aperture. You just kind of, instead of trying to hide those things or wrench down on those things and control them, you just kind of open it up and you kind of give God that knowing look. And you're like, you see this, right? You see what's going on. This is, this is all, this is all yours. Uh, solidarity. Right. And, and in a sense, um, allow the blinding radiance of the presence of God to kind of burn through those things that we can't control on our own. Uh, there's a, uh, I've mentioned this a couple of times on here. There's a book by uh, Jacques Philippe, who's a, a, mm-hmm. pri- a priest and a monk in, in France. And the, the book is called searching for and maintaining peace. And the book starts out. Um, you can, apart from Christ, you can do nothing. I don't mean you can do some things you can do nothing. And he spends like a whole chapter reminding us that we can do nothing. And some of that even comes down to engaging ourselves and controlling ourselves in silent prayer. Because whatever we're able to do, we do through self-control, and we know that self-control is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. So even that, that access of uh, of practicing silence, of practicing uh, directing our appetites. Even that comes because Christ is with us and gives us graces through the sacrament, through his Holy Spirit and dwelling in us. And maybe part of Lent is just being okay with the fact that um, everything's not going according to your Lenten plan, right? No, I think that's a good way to put this. And I was going to say, even when I think spiritual fathers seem like they're saying the opposite, it's important to, 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 to hear the point out completely. So on one hand, uh, St. Benedict in the rule, is of course, taking on like everybody's favorite, uh, not favorite Psalm where it's like dash the infants against the rock uh, language. And he goes like, you know, actually what's being said here spiritually is that when we have evil thoughts, we should dash the, like at, at their, at their very beginning. That's why they're infants. We should dash them against the rock, which of course the rock is Christ. Now, there are people who hear him say that and get the idea that like, oh, so what you need to do in prayer is uh, be all about squashing them baby evil thoughts. And you go, no, the emphasis, right, is the rock that is Christ. Mm -hmm. So that even like if the idea is you want to attend to uh, the evil thoughts, the wicked thoughts, the distracted thoughts, depending on how you translate that, it only works if the idea is you how you, you, you send them to Christ as it were. Cause what, what in this figure, what does it mean to dash them against Christ? Right? Like, you know, the, the, the violent imagery of course is supposed to make it sort of like stand out in your head that it's handing over those thoughts to Christ, that that's the way that those things will go away. It is not you about playing whack-a-mole with your thoughts. It's about handing them over again, like to your point that we can do nothing without Christ. So it's not like it's our job 
to like clean house and then go find Christ. The cleansing of the house of our soul only works in and through giving it to Jesus himself. And I think that that goes back to this very deep-seated occurrence sometimes with all of us that even though we say we're not Pelagians and we believe in the, the, the grace of Jesus Christ, we still in the end want to be the A student that deserves grace. Right. And, and so, so we're going to like treat Lent, we're going to treat prayer, we're going to treat all of it like, look at me, God, I'm finally the goody two-shoe that, that you, that I, that like, this is the only way you're going to love me. Hmm. And then like, we either act like we do that on our own, which is pride, or we fail and we go like, ah, I'm the one person Jesus can't forgive, which is pride. Yeah. And so, of course, we have to stop all of that and go, you know, I can't even approach this unless it's your will, Jesus Christ, making me the way that I am, let alone even getting started on this route. So it's, it's, it's high time that I stop acting like Jesus has ever asked me to be this goody two-shoe A-plus student before he reaches out. He's already reached out to me before I even thought about the idea of reaching out to him. And if that's the case, um, I'm only going to be purified and clean um, through my reliance on him and not on deserving that grace because the grace is already coming before I deserved it. We're talking today with Bo Bonner, who is the director of the Center for Human Flourishing at Mercy College of Health Sciences. Uh, you can find out more about the work they do at mchs.edu slash flourish. Bo, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today. Uh, thank you so much. And like, again, it's always um, very helpful for me, especially when we have these discussions that are sort of uh, liturgical year bound uh, to think through these things. So I really appreciate the opportunity. So God bless you. For the rest of Lent and all of your listeners, blessings for a, a, a holy Lent leading up uh, to Easter. If you missed any part of my conversation with Bo or you want to go back and listen to it again or share it with your friends on social media, have no fear. All of our episodes are archived over at OutsideTheWalls.com. You can also listen to previous episodes that we've had conversations with Bo. Simply click that link in the top left-hand corner of the page. There's three horizontal bars. That will pop out a menu with the names of all of our previous guests. Go down, find Bo's name and listen to those previous episodes. And if at the end of that, you just can't get enough of these conversations, well, I've got great news because there is more. Each and every week, we record an extra segment that we make available with gratitude to all those who support the show through Patreon. Our Patreon support community helps keep us on the air and ensure that we can continue to bring you these shows week in and week out. And in gratitude, we have these extra segments with insightful other uh, questions, deeper dives into the topic. This week, we're going to be talking with Bo specifically about how sometimes the way that we succeed in Lent is by failing at Lent. That sounds intriguing. Go over to Outside the Walls, click that Patreon link in the top right-hand corner of the page, and consider joining that community. Now, let's turn our attention to our readings from Scripture and from church history. That's the sound of our Verbum Library launching up. Verbum helps you read Scripture in light of church teaching. 
putting the magisterium at your fingertips by linking scripture to the catechism, to the fathers and doctors of the church, ecclesial documents, uh, biblical commentaries, and so much more. Learn more at verbum.com. I want to call specific attention to the Fundamentals Library, which is one of those entry-level libraries that gets you into the software and engaging with Scripture in a new way for a low cost. Learn more at verbum.com slash fundamentals. Now, our reading from Scripture comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 4. Jesus came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of land that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. Jesus, tired from his journey, sat down there at the well. It was about noon. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How can you, a Jew, ask me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink? for the Jews had nothing in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God, and who is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you do not even have a bucket, and the cistern is deep. Where then can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this cistern and drank from it himself with his children and his flocks? Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I shall give him will never thirst. The water I shall give will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may not be thirsty or have to keep coming here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come back. The woman answered and said to him, I do not have a husband. Jesus answered her, You are right in saying, I do not have a husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said, Sir, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you people say that the place of worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, Believe me, woman, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. Your people worship what you do not understand, and we worship what we understand because salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And indeed, the Father seeks such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, the one called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us everything. Jesus said to her, I am he, the one speaking with you. At that moment, his disciples returned and were amazed that he was talking with a woman. But still no one said, What are you looking for? Or why are you talking with her? The woman left her water jar and went into the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I have done. Could he possibly be the Christ? They went out of the town and came to him. Meanwhile, the disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat. 
But he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. So the disciples said to one another, Could someone have brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of the one who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say in four months the harvest will be here? I tell you, look up and see the fields are ripe for the harvest. The reaper is already receiving payment and gathering crops for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper can rejoice together. For here the saying is verified, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for, and others have done the work, and you are sharing the fruits of their work. Many of the Samaritans of that town began to believe in him because of the word of the woman who testified, he told me everything I've done. When the Samaritans came to him, they invited him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. Many more began to believe in him because of his words. And they said to the woman, We no longer believe because of your word, for now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is truly the Savior of the world. That reading comes from the Gospel of John. We referenced that earlier in the show as we were talking about this this hunger that we have for the infinite, that we try so hard to fill with finite things. And there's so much that we can get into with the story, but I encourage you, it's going to come up in the readings, uh, I think, next week as we're going through Mass. I encourage you to pull out this passage of Scripture and, and pray with it. Do some Lexio Divina and ask yourself, where do I fit in this story? Am I the, the Samaritan woman who kind of fell into this encounter with Jesus? She was not doing the right things or looking for the right things or anything. She failed into her Lent, as it were and came into an encounter with Christ. And it was that encounter through the unexpected that God was able to satisfy the deepest longings of her heart. And I think the same will be true for us. Maybe you'll find yourself in the disciples or in the townsfolk, but pray through and ask yourself and ask the Holy Spirit, where am I in this story and how will this help inform my Lenten practice? Our reading from Church History comes from a treatise on the flight from the world by St. Ambrose. Where a man's heart is, there is his treasure also. God is not accustomed to refusing a good gift to those who ask for one, since he is good, and especially to those who are faithful to him. Let us hold fast to him with all our soul, all our heart, all our strength, and so enjoy his light and see his glory and possess the grace of supernatural joy. Let us reach out with our hearts to possess that good. Let us exist in it and live in it. Let us hold fast to it, that good which is beyond all we can know or see and is marked by perpetual peace and tranquility, a peace which is beyond all we can know or understand. This is the good that permeates creation. In it, we all live. On it, we all depend. It has nothing above it. It is divine. No one is good but God alone. What is good is therefore divine. What is divine is therefore good. Scripture says, When you open your hand, all things will be filled with goodness. It is through God's goodness that all that is truly good is given us, and in it there is no admixture of evil. 
These good things are promised by Scripture to those who are faithful. The good things of the land will be your food. We have died in Christ. We carry about in our bodies the sign of his death, so that the living Christ may also be revealed in us. The life we live is not now our ordinary life, but the life of Christ, a life of sinlessness, of chastity, of simplicity, of every other virtue. We have risen with Christ. Let us live in Christ. Let us ascend in Christ so that the serpent may not have the power here below to wound us in the heel. Let us take refuge from this world. You can do this in spirit, even if you were kept here in the body. You can at the same time be here and present in the Lord. Your soul must hold fast to him. You must follow after him in your thoughts. You must tread his ways by faith, not an outward show. You must take refuge in him. He is your refuge and your strength. David addresses him in these words, I fled to you for refuge, and I was not disappointed. Since God is our refuge, God who is in heaven and above the heavens, we must take refuge from this world in that place where there is peace, where there is rest from toil, where we can celebrate the great Sabbath. As Moses said, the Sabbaths of the land will provide you with food. To rest in the Lord and to see his joy is like a banquet and full of gladness and tranquility. Let us take refuge like deer beside the fountain of waters. Let our soul thirst as David thirsted for the fountain. What is that fountain? Listen to David. With you is the fountain of life. Let my soul say to this fountain, When shall I come and see you face to face? For the fountain is God himself. That reading comes from a treatise on flight from the world by St. Ambrose. And here too, again, we see this repeated, that that which is good, that which satisfies our needs is God himself, not our outward action, not anything that we can put on, but rather simply being and resting in God. I'm struck here by this repeated reference to tranquility and peace, because I feel like so often we expect that once we have done enough, then we will be at peace. But here, St. Ambrose is calling us to hold fast to that peace and to that rest, and then let all of the good things flow from that. Realizing, back to this that we talked about earlier, that all good things come from God, and it's not by our own effort. It's by simply opening up that aperture, exposing our hearts to the presence of Christ, and letting the goodness of God affect everything within us, bringing us to that place of tranquility and peace and goodness as we hold fast to him this Lent. That's all the time we have for the day. Thank you so much for tuning in. Today's show was brought to you by Anil Thomas and all of those who support the show through Patreon. Go to OutsideTheWalls.com, click that Patreon link, and join their numbers. Join us on social media, Facebook.com slash StepOutsideTheWalls. On Twitter, the handle's at OutsideTheWalls. And until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.